Hey friends, this is Keenan, the Creative Arts Minister at the Christian Church of Carl Junction. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast. The Christian Church of Carl Junction exists to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We do that by coming to God, thriving in family, and going on mission for His kingdom. We hope that this podcast helps you take next steps in following Jesus with everything that you have. Now, here's today's podcast episode. We're going to jump right into James chapter 5 this morning. James chapter 5, verse 13 is where we're going to start things off here. James 5, 13. We're skipping a little bit from where we ended last Sunday, just for the sake of time, so we can get to the end, because I want to talk about the end of James's letter. He starts off in verse 13, again, pastorally speaking to people. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. If you're following Jesus, then trouble is going to be a normal thing for you. The world is going to give you trouble simply because they don't understand the way that you live. The old habits of sin that you have broken or are trying to break, they're going to give you trouble because habits are hard to break, aren't they? We've got to replace it with something better. Habits are hard to break. And that's what sin is. It's a habit that's unhealthy and holy. The devil's going to give us trouble. Simply, he wants you back. If you've been rescued by Jesus, restored by Jesus, redeemed by Jesus, he wants you back, and he will fight tooth and nail to get you back. That's what he wants. He'll give you trouble. And so what do you do if you're in trouble? Well, James says right here, it's super easy. It's super easy. If you're in trouble, you pray. And when you pray, you don't worry. You release the fear of the things that you're worried about that are hurting you, the problems and the pain of the world. You release it. You trust the healer of all things to heal you internally, transform your heart, transform your mind, heal your body, heal your family, heal your community, heal your nation, heal your world. And you expect a miracle because we do, in fact, serve the God of miracles. That's what we expect. James goes on, though. He's talking to several groups of people. He says, is anyone happy? Is anyone happy? If you're happy, then sing songs of praise. If you're following Jesus, then you're going to experience joy. And the joy that you experience is going to give you the strength to stand strong in the middle of a broken world that gives you trouble. If you're experiencing joy, then you're going to see positive moments in a world full of negativity. If you're experiencing joy, then you're going to be able to smile even through the tears that come from the pain of the world. You're happy, you give praise where it's due. You sing. You know, we come in here and we join here and we worship together here. We, we sing. Why do we sing? It's not just because we really miss choir class in school. We sing because we are celebrating. We are singing of the goodness of the God that has rescued us and broken our chains and He's made us holy as He is holy. He's transformed every part of us. We sing. We celebrate testify we take every single blessing every single thing that gives us good news every single thing that's good in our life we turn it around as a testimony of his goodness a story of how good God is so we can point to that thing that was making us happy it was giving us joy in the middle of a broken world and we can say you know why I have that it's because God blessed me with that that's what we do we give praise where it's due and then we remember the God who wants to give us more blessing upon blessing upon blessing so we can turn it around to testimony upon testimony upon testimony. James goes on. He says, is anyone among you sick? 
Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. If you're living in a broken world, you're going to experience sickness. We live in a world that's not perfect. It is broken by sin. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they were sent out of the garden, they were, they were removed from the garden, there were consequences of sin. And part of those consequences is that we're going to experience sickness. If you're living in a broken world, you're going to be sick sometimes. Your body will be sick. Your heart will be sick. Your mind will be sick. We will be sick in our marriages and our families. It's a part of the world that we live in. And if you're sick, it's simple. James would tell us, you need a family. Specifically, he says, call the elders, and they will anoint you with oil, and they will pray over you. And I can tell you, I work with our elders here at this church all the time. We meet every week, and I know, and I've watched these men, and I've prayed with these men. These men love to anoint with oil and to pray over people who are hurting. And if you have pain and problems and hurts in your life, and you let us know, our elders will pray for you passionately. They will pray for you, they will anoint you, and they will do it. I've been there, and I've seen it happen. They live for this. They'll have you meet them on a Thursday when they meet. They'll come to your house. They'll pray after a service. They will pray with you because they love this family. James says, let the elders pray for you. I would summarize that in the context of everything else we know from Scripture and say you need a family. You just need a family to lean on. Uh, Years ago, Years ago, when Grace and I were first married, we were early in our marriage, and we had a little family gathering. I was just telling some folks last night about this, and it jogged my memory. We had a family gathering where we had my family was all there, my wife's family was all there, and we celebrated together an accomplishment in the family. And then, as we all went on our separate ways, that evening, my wife and I are out in Joplin. We're running around, and we're at a store somewhere, and and I have that moment. I'm walking through a store, and all of a sudden, I, I don't feel so good. You've been there. You know what it's like. Like that little, it turns. You're like, I don't feel so good. So we hurried back on home, and I I wasn't feeling good, and I'll spare you some of the gory details. I wasn't feeling so good. And my wife, she's she's being great, and she's taking care of me and all that, and then all of a sudden I see it in her eyes, and she goes, oh, I don't feel so good. I'm like, well, well, shoot, who's going to take care of me? If you're not feeling so good, I don't. And she's not feeling so good. And we spent one of the most, to this day, we were married almost 20 years. This is like 19 years ago. We, we spent one of the most miserable nights of our entire lives together, sick, sleeping in a restroom, not feeling very good. Just praying for death or day to come, one of them. The next day, the, the sun comes up, and it dawns, and I tell Grace, look at my mom. She'll fix everything. I'm a married man, but you know how it is, guys. Mom will fix everything. So I, I give my phone a call, and I was like, Mom, we are sick. We don't feel very good, and we just need some help, and I, I don't know what to do. And my mom, my sweet mom, on the phone, she says, we don't feel good either. Your dad just said, call Adam. He'll help us. And I was like, Mom, I can't move. We're here. So then... I was like, Grace, what are we going to do? She's like, I'll call my mom. And I was like, call your mom. She's like, Mom, what can we do? And her mom says, we're dying, Grace. The whole family was sick. Everybody that had been at this gathering, everybody's sick, except Grace's grandma. She's pretty tough. Everybody else was sick. We got in some bad turkey. It was bad. Everybody's sick. And that feeling, when I didn't know who to call. You ever been there? You're sick. And so you you know, I'm going to call my spouse. My spouse is sick. 
I'm going to call my, my parents. My parents are sick. I'm going to call my siblings. My siblings are sick. I'm going to call my in-laws. My in-laws are sick. I, I don't know. Everybody was sick. And we're just on our own. Just lay there. Live or die. We'll see what happens. You know what? The church is better than that. The church is better than that. James would tell you, if anyone's sick, let the elders pray over you and not you the oil. I would paraphrase it and say, if anyone's sick, find a family and lean on that family. See, he said God has designed us and he's told us if, if, if you're together, if two or three are together and one falls down, you'll pick the other one up. In the family of God, we're never all sick. There's always a family here. We're never all sick. We always have somebody to lean on, to lean into, somebody to pick us up, prop us up, carry us along the way. We're never all sick. So lean on the family of God. If you are sick in your heart, in your mind, in your body, in your words, in your marriage, in your family, in your job, if you're sick in some way, the absolute worst thing you can do is to crawl off in a hole somewhere to lick your wounds and hope it just gets better. Because the moment you get off in that little hole by yourself just hoping it gets better, no one understands. I'll be all right. I'll just sleep it off. It'll be okay. The moment you get off by yourself, as soon as you get there, and as soon as you close that door, guess who joins you? The enemy, the liar, the devil. And he starts whispering, see, no one cares. You're sick. No one cares. You're addicted. No one cares. Your marriage is over. No one cares. Your kids hate you. No one cares. You're all alone. No one cares. The soon as we pull up ourselves, the devil starts whispering, no one cares. And so James says, if you're sick, let the elders pray over you. Join a family. Let the, lean on the family. Let somebody pick you up and carry you along. My favorite part of our oikos is we have oikos. It's a Greek word means family, oikos. And we meet every other Sunday night. I have one in my home that I lead. My favorite time of oikos. At the beginning, we spend a lot of time eating. And it's great. That's not my favorite time. We spend time singing and worshiping and, and praising, reading psalms together. That's not my favorite time. We open the, the Word of God together. We read out of the Bible and we talk and we discuss. That's not my favorite time. We, we share our blessings, the God, things God has done. We speak them as a testimony to how God is great so others can share that testimony of God's goodness. And That's not my favorite time. My favorite time is the very end. I look forward to the very end. Not so people will leave my house, but... I look forward to the end, right before everybody leaves. When I just say, how can we pray for us, each other? I just say, how can we pray for each other? And I sit back. And people start to share. And someone says, you know, my, my mom is sick. And someone says, you know, my, my, my coworker is going through a hard time in their marriage. And someone else says, you know, I... My, my kid's not feeling well. Someone else says, I don't know what's going on with my family. Someone else says, my, my car's broken down. We can't afford to fix it. And someone else, we, we start sharing these things together. And, and I don't just at the end say, okay, let's pray for them. God, thank you, bless these, okay, amen. We don't do that. I start saying, who will pray for him? And someone says, I'll do it. Who will pray for her? Well, I'll do it. Who will pray for them? Well, we'll do it. And so we start to pray, and we start to pray around the room, and all of a sudden, he's praying for her, and she's praying for him, and they're praying for them, and it's great. That's what the family does. Is anyone sick? Let the elders pray. Lean on the family. Let yourself be surrounded by people that will lift you up in your time of pain and hurt. 
to make you better. James goes on, he says, and the prayer offered in faith, the prophet in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. And as I'm reading through here, I get to this point, and I, I always pause on this verse. This line always gives me a reason to pause as I'm going through here. And sometimes when I read, I get in a little bit of a rhythm, and I almost start to skim a little bit because I'm just cruising along the sentences of what's happening here. And I get to this sentence right here, and the, the, the Lord will raise them up. The prophet and faith will make them well. And I just, I stick. I just pause a little bit. And I pause because I, I know I've lived a long time. And there are, there are some people, there are some people that I've, I've prayed for and I've watched them, I've prayed for them, and they've gotten better immediately. And we celebrate it. There's people that I've seen come to our elders, and our elders have anointed with oil, and they've prayed, and we hear in a week, like, everything's better, and God healed us, it's a miracle. The doctors don't know what happened. It's amazing. There's people I've been in, in homes in, in the, the United States and homes around the world, and I've prayed with people that, that their spirit would be, be freed from the oppression of Satan, and, and it's happened. It's amazing. There's other people I've prayed for. And I prayed for days and weeks and months and years, and they just don't get better. And I stick right here on this verse, because James seems to say, the prophet in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise them up, but what if they don't get better today? What do I do? How do I react to that? What's my next step? We need to keep reading in James, I think, to get the full picture of this. Because he goes on, he says, if, if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. That's the promise of Jesus, right? He came to the cross to die in place of us for our sins so his blood could cover and forgive our sins. When we surrender to him, he'll forgive our sins. He goes on and says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So you may be healed. And then he says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I love this sentence. I don't get stuck on this one. I remember this one. I, I say to myself, I look in the mirror and I say, Adam, the, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This is a great thing. This is a great encouragement to us. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But then I, I always think back to that sentence I got stuck on earlier. And I think, but wait a minute. When I prayed for him and I prayed for her and they didn't get better, what's that say about me? If the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective and my prayer didn't work, am I not good enough? Am I not righteous? Does God not like me? I start to ask questions that I don't like to ask. If I prayed and it didn't work out, what's it say about me? And so I want to I share with you right now, I want to share five reasons why nothing happened when you prayed. And you might think, Adam, that's not very encouraging in a sermon at all. But, but I think there's encouragement in the end. There's five reasons maybe that nothing happened when you prayed. Reason number one, and this one here is, might seem cold and, and bold a little bit, maybe offensive, but reason number one, maybe you're not a child of God. And now, don't hear me say, maybe God just doesn't love you as much as everybody else. That's not what I said. I did not say, maybe you're not good enough. That's not what I said. I said you're not a child of God. Everything I know in the Word of God leads me to believe that God has no obligation to listen to the prayers of people who are not fully surrendered to him. None. Now, will he? Yeah, 
God can do what he wants, and he has in Scripture even. But he has no obligation to listen to the prayers of someone who's not fully surrendered to him. And so I have friends and I have neighbors who will tell me, Adam, I've been praying for this, and I, I, I know I know enough of their lifestyle and I know enough of their family and enough of their background that I can reasonably think they might not be a Christian surrendered fully to Jesus. And they say, I've been praying for it. It's not worked out. I don't know why. Well, the simple answer is because you've not surrendered every part of your life to Jesus yet. You haven't surrendered, so you're not a child of God. What's the solution? Surrender your life to Jesus, every single part of it, every word, every thought, every action, every moment, every relationship, everything. And then when you're a child of God, start to ask him for things and talk to him. Reason number two, your motives are misplaced. Anytime we pray from a selfish, self-centered place of motivation, that is an unholy prayer that God will not answer. Anytime we start to pray things to give us a personal advantage, a personal benefit, to get us ahead, anytime you pray that prayer to win a million dollars in the lottery, that's an unholy prayer. Our motives are misplaced. Number three reason, maybe you just misunderstood God's priorities. Maybe you misunderstood God's priorities. If I were to simplify God's top three priorities from everything I know in the Word of God, they go something like this. Number one, God wants the glory for everything that's good in the world. Number two, God wants everybody to fully surrender their life to know Him so they can be in family, in relationship, in fellowship with Him. And number three, God wants his children to find joy in the middle of a broken world. Well, you say, well, I know that. But sometimes we start to get those out of order. And we start to pray for people that don't know Jesus, that their life would be easier, their job would give them a raise, their body would be healed, their marriage would be better. And we forget to pray that God would get glory and they would know Jesus. Sometimes our... our, our, our misunderstanding of God's priorities makes us pray for the wrong thing. I refuse to pray for somebody. Simply, God, please let them get healthy because they just don't feel very good. And I insist upon praying prayers that are like, God, I pray you would heal my friend who has been sick for a long time, and I pray you would do it so that everybody in their family would see your goodness in their life, and that everybody in their family would recognize that you are the one who heals so that then they would come to know you so that this person could be healed so they could then walk out with a great testimony of your goodness and they could continue to spread the good news of your story. That's a prayer we pray that aligns with God's priorities. Sometimes we've just misunderstood God's priorities. Number four, it's just not time yet. It's just not time yet. You see, we view the world, we view life through the lens of seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, and years. God views things through the lens of eternity centuries and millennia and never-ending infinite timelines we know from the word of god that to god a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day and sometimes we start praying for things and because we're viewing things through decades because our lives to be honest our lives only last just a few decades and so we start to 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 pray these 
these frantic, panicked prayers because our decades, we see the hourglass getting lower and lower. We start to pray these things in terms of decades, in terms of years and days and weeks. And we get frustrated because I've been praying this and God hasn't done it. And it's been four weeks and I don't know what the deal is because doesn't God care? And we forget that God views things through eternity. Through eternity. And God just has a bigger picture. Maybe it's just not time yet. So when you pray a prayer and nothing happens next day, next week, next month, even next year, does that mean quit and give up and run away and failure? And No, it means keep praying because it might just not be time yet. And number five, God has a much bigger plan than you realized. He has a much bigger plan than you realized. See, we view the world through the lens of our workplace, our home, our neighborhood, our church, our town, and our nation. But God views everything through the lens of his creation. God views it through terms of globes and galaxies and universes. God views things differently. He has a bigger picture than you. And God's biggest priority because he hasn't viewed the world this way, it's, it might not even be America. His priority is his kingdom, which spans the globe. He sees things bigger than we do, and God just has something bigger in store than what we realized. And so we're praying for this thing. Maybe we're praying our prayer just kind of small because we saw it in a small lens, and God sees it in a bigger one. He's got a bigger plan, and it's not quite time yet, and he wants to deliver something bigger and better and greater than we could ever imagine and so when you pray something, it doesn't work out right away. You pray for revival in your land. You pray for a change in your town. You pray for a, a difference in your school, in your workplace, and it doesn't happen. Don't quit. Don't get frustrated. Don't give up because, well, God just doesn't care. Obviously, he would have fixed my world, my, my workplace. He would have fixed my nation. Obviously, he didn't care. And remember that God has a bigger picture than that. He has a bigger plan than we ever realized. And so when we pray... When we pray, we know we need to fully surrender every part of our life, every single part of our life. We know that we need to pray, not from a selfish thing, but from a selfless position with proper holy motivation. We know that we need to have God's priorities. We need to align our prayers and our lives with his priorities. We know we need to pray that in God's timing it will be done. And we need to pray that God will do it in this world. Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you pray, you pray that God's will, God's kingdom would be done on this earth as it is in heaven. That's what we pray. And then we wait and we expect. And then James is going to switch gears a little bit. And it seems abrupt maybe until we realize that James is a preacher and James is given a sermon illustration. So he says right here in chapter 5, verse number 17, all of a sudden he just says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. We think, that's weird, James. We weren't talking about Elijah here. We're talking about prayer. You're talking about how we pray and about if anyone's in trouble, if anyone is happy, if anyone is sick, and all these things, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, and then Elijah. Like, what in the world's up with Elijah? So you realize it's a sermon illustration, and he goes on and gives a little snippet. Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. It's a little snippet of what Elijah did. I want to give you a little bit more, though. Look back here with me. I'll just read it to you. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17, just a few verses here. 
17, verse 1, it says, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, the king, he says, he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. That's a bold thing to say to a king. I'm going to bring drought, and I'm the only one that can stop it. Now, it doesn't say Elijah prayed right there. And James says he did. And everything we know about Elijah's life says he probably prayed because he prayed about everything else. So he prayed, I believe. It's a reasonable assumption. And he went to the king and said, it's going to be a drought. If you go ahead just a little bit, he ends up back before the king and before all these false prophets of this God named Baal on top of Mount Carmel. And they have this challenge. And, and he says to them, the people, that they need to choose and stop wavering between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And then he challenges the prophets of Baal to a, to a dispute. And they begin to chant and dance and sing and cut themselves and bleed all around this altar, calling down fire from Baal to consume it. And nothing happened. Because obviously, Baal's not real. And then Elijah calmly steps up. He builds an altar out of 12 stones, puts a sacrifice on it, tells the people, go get some water, pour it on here. They go get the water. Had to go a long way. It's a drought. They went and put the water on top of it. He says, not enough. Get some more water. They poured some water. Still not enough. Get some more water. They poured it three times until it was saturated, soaked, running down the sides, filling up a trench around it. And then Elijah calmly looks to heaven and says, Lord, if you will, show the people who you are. And he prayed. And fire came down, a picture of a lightning bolt just consuming the entire thing, the sacrifice, the altar, the stones, the soil, the water, all of it, gone. Gone. Then Elijah went up on the edge of the mountain. He told the king, go and eat for there's a sound of a heavy rain, which had to make the king a little bit angry. He's like, well, you know there's not rain, it's your fault. He said, go eat, there's a sound of a heavy rain. And Elijah goes up on the mountain, on the edge, he bent down to the ground, he put his face between his knees, and he began to pray. The servant went and looked, there's no clouds, nothing at all. They went seven times, there's a small cloud, he says, it's about to get wet around here. The clouds come in, the rain comes, and everything changes. What is it that makes Elijah like us? Because when I read his story, his life, and all the other things, there's some crazy stuff with Elijah's life. You can read it in 1 Kings. All the things that go with his life, I look at it and I think, his life was nothing like me. But James very clearly says he was a person just like us. So what is the connecting thread? What is it that makes us the same? Very simply, it's this. Righteous people pray prayers that seek God's kingdom. Righteous people pray prayers that seek God's kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, he said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The first thing that we seek is his kingdom and his righteousness. And when we pray, we pray prayers that don't seek our own kingdom, our own convenience, our own ease, our own riches, our own happiness. We pray prayers that seek God's kingdom. That's what makes us the same as Elijah. You see, we live in a broken world, and we pray in a broken world, but every single prayer points to an unbroken kingdom that is coming. A man named E.M. Bounds, he wrote a fantastic uh, book about prayer. And this is what he said. He said, our praying needs to be pressed and pursued with an energy that never tires, a persistency which will not be denied, and a courage that never fails. That is how we pray, just like Elijah prayed. That's how we pray, boldly and confidently in alignment with the priorities of God's heart and character, expecting that he's going to do great things and great works. That's how we pray. 
pressed and pursued with an energy that is tireless and never ceases. And James is going to finish his letter very abruptly by saying this, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And once again, we have to question, how does this connect to prayer? Because it feels like he threw it into another gear. But then we remember, every single thing we do, every word we say, every prayer that we pray, is devoted to, directed to helping a broken people find an unbroken God in an unbroken kingdom so they can be restored to an unbroken heart and they can live the life they were meant to live. Every single prayer we pray is for this reason right here. This is why we do what we do. Because whoever, James says, turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. What are you praying for, church? What are you praying for? Are you praying that your neighbors will be saved from eternal death in hell? Or are you praying that you get off work early on Friday? Are you praying that your family would be rescued from the cycle of addiction and sin that's been weighing you down for generations? Or are you praying that lunch would be good? Are you praying that people would be healed from the sins of their heart, from the sins of their bodies, so that people they know and love could know Jesus and be rescued from eternal death and all the sins and all the weight of that? Or are you praying that you get a better car? What are you praying for? There's reasons why when we pray, we say it doesn't work. Those reasons are because we don't always pray in alignment with God's priority. He gets the glory in all things. That all people would know him and that we'd find joy in a broken world so we can stand strong and point to him. Church, I want to challenge you to pray in alignment with God's heart and character so that you won't give up and you won't quit, but you will keep praying and praying and praying with an energy that presses and pursues and is tireless and never ceases. That's what you do. Every time we gather, I invite you, if you never surrender to Jesus, to do that. Today, I want to invite the same thing. If you've never followed Jesus, take me the day that you followed Jesus for the first time. Today can be the day that you say, you know what, I... I know I've been in church and I've been here for a long time. I've been around, but, but I, I know I've not fully surrendered everything. And so I wonder if when I pray, it's because part of me is not surrendered. Today's the day you surrender that part of you. If you're in the room, the way you can follow Jesus very simply is just go out in the lobby at the next steps table and join me out there. We'll pray and talk in just a moment. If you're online right now, just send a message and a comment. Say, I want to follow Jesus and we will pray and talk with you and we'll walk you through the process. So wherever you are right now, you can be fully surrendered, become a child of God, so you can begin to pray as a righteous person, powerful and effective prayers, the people around you to be rescued from death and cover a multitude of sins so they could live. That's what we'll do with you. And for all the rest of us, today is the day I challenge you to be sent into a broken world 
so you can point to an unbroken Savior who's the king of an unbroken kingdom and desperately, desperately wants to adopt and invite everybody everywhere to come back, be made healed and whole and unbroken in his presence. That's what you're sent to do. And so as you go, I just want to pray a prayer over you today that's in alignment with those priorities. Let me pray for you right now. Let's pray. Father, I ask, Father, that you would heal us. That you would heal us of whatever ails us right now. If our bodies are hurt, if our hearts are sick, if our minds are sick, whatever part of us is hurt, our marriages, our families, our kids, our parents, whatever it is, Father, I pray you would heal it, not so that we could just simply forget about the pain and the problems and move on and just get over it and be happy, but I pray that you would heal it so that we can point to it and we can say, look what God did. This is what he did for me, and this is what he can do for you. And I pray, Father, you would heal these things so that they can become testimonies of your goodness. I pray, Father. I pray, Father, that that you would let our hearts be motivated by your kingdom, that we'd seek first your kingdom, not my kingdom, your kingdom, not our kingdom, and we would seek you with everything that we have, with an energy that is tireless and that never ceases, pursuing you with every word, every prayer, every action, every thought. Father, I pray. I pray that everything in our life would align with your character, your kingdom, and your heart. I pray, Father, that even though things haven't happened in the timing I wanted, that I would trust that your timing is perfect. I pray, Father, that this church would trust that your timing is perfect, and they would trust that even though you might not fix the thing that is right in front of us, that is our little hobby, that you would fix the thing that helps your kingdom to thrive. And I pray, Father, we would jump on that wagon with you, and we would ride with you, aligning with you in everything. Father, I pray that we would be a people sent with unbroken spirits into a broken world to point to an unbroken king. And I pray you would transform a community to follow you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Christian Church of Carl Junction podcast. If you're looking to take next steps in following Jesus, please email me at keenan at cccj.church. And I would love to connect with you in taking your next step in following Jesus.